everyone, and welcome to the Naturopathic Times. I'm your host, Katerina Meister, and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Stephanie Yakapidia. Hi, everyone. Today, we are recording virtually all the way from San Diego to New York City. Today's guest has a Master's of Acupuncture and is a licensed naturopathic doctor. His main areas of focus include GI health, environmental medicine, longevity medicine, natural aesthetics, autoimmune conditions, and chronic degenerative disease. Please welcome our guest, Dr. Mark Ivaninsky. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. So we're hoping to hear a little bit about growing up and how you found naturopathic medical school. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a ha- uh, family of, of medical doctors. My dad's an OBGYN. My uncle is a medical doctor. And um, I was actually on track for veterinary school. I was going to be a veterinarian and got into veterinary school. And my health started deteriorating and I was having a lot of health issues and um my parents suggested I go see a, a close family friend who was a medical doctor, but he was practicing more naturopathically. And I was kind of intrigued by that. I was having a lot of GI issues, a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, uh, allergies. And so I went to see him and I was kind of blown away by his, his approach. Like everything was natural. He's using herbs, homeopathy, a lot of um, chelation therapies, IV therapies. And I was like, what is this world? Like it kind of opened up my whole my whole view on 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 medicine and so i decided to kind of really shift tracks and um deferred for a year and then actually wound up not going to veterinary school but we we actually wound up starting a company together me him and his son called innovative medicine which still exists today um but after a while i was like i, I kind of want to go back to school you know I, but i don't know if i want to go back to veterinary school or should i consider regular medical school and then I found out about this program I was actually at a conference and met with Dr. Schleich, who was the president of NCNM at the time. He's like, you should be a naturopathic doctor. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I mean, coming back living in New York and, and you know, growing up on the East Coast, mm-hmm. we, we don't have those here. We, you know, that was not, never a thing. And so I looked into the program and I was like, this is exactly what I want. And this is, this, you know, this is what I want to be doing. And then I found out about the dual degree in Chinese medicine. I was like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to learn and what I want to do. So I went and I, I um, flew out to Portland and, and did the interview. And I was like, it was like one of the rare sunny days in Portland. And I was like, wow, Portland's sunny yeah. and amazing and, and, and beautiful. Oh, yeah. I was like this. Well, I actually, I didn't know because I really didn't know a lot about the weather even at the time. So I was like, wow, it's just beautiful and sunny here all the time. And people were like, eh, you might want to um, look, look into that. But like, no, 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 it's beautiful and sunny all the time. Little so, did you know. <laughs> right. Little did I know once I got there. Um, but so I went, it was amazing and decided, and then got accepted. And I was like, d- decided to, to go and kind of sh- shift tracks completely and, uh, and loved it. I'm, I did the dual degree uh, uh, five-year program. And um, yeah, that's kind of what propelled me onto that path and then um after graduating i went to was working um at a clinic in san francisco with who, that was owned by a medical doctor and there are two other naturopaths there and so there were three uh, four of us who were working there and then um after, i was there for three years and kind of was missing new york wanted to come back to um to the east coast and so moved back actually last summer so it's been a year now since i'm back in new york 
and found this really cool uh, integrative clinic called Tribeca Wellness, also run by a medical doctor, former ER doc who loves naturopathic medicine and was like really excited to have me on. And so we like work collaboratively. Yeah, it sounds like you found Tribeca Wellness and it seems like the perfect fit for you. But just going back to how you found naturopathic medicine, it seems like that doctor really had mm-hmm. a big impact on you. Yeah. Um, he was um, a close family friend as well, but he his practice was was a more of a naturopathic practice. Um, he he's, he was an anesthesiologist that that converted more to a naturopathic style of practice. So he was doing a lot of herbs and homeopathy and and uh, drainage, um, and so that's how I found out about it. And then thought you know at, at the time I thought well I'm, if I want to do this I'm going to need to become a medical doctor and then learn all this on the side because I didn't know about naturopathic school um, and then I found about a, the program and I was like this is exactly what I want to do I want to do IVs I want to do injections but I also want to um, you know I want to have a foundation in in, in in allopathic medicine and primary care but I really want to focus on the natural remedies and, and I also want to do Chinese medicine um, and then found about the, the, the dual degree program so it was, um, yeah, it was, it was that that kind of inspired me to, to, to look further. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's nice that he kind of gave you that example of, you know, how to combine it. And then he eventually led you to finding naturopathic medicine mm-hmm. itself. How were your parents when you found out, since they were medical doctors, did they have, were they for it, against it? I think initially, the, initially they were against it. Um, <laughs> they were like, um, you know, more from the traditional old school um, mentality around that. And they were like, yeah, why don't you just go to, to traditional med school? But I was like, because I'm not going to really be learning what I want to learn. I mean, I guess I'll have the, I would have the license to do what I wanted to do, but I wouldn't be learning what I wanted to learn. And that was my main focus is I wanted to learn herbs and botanical medicine, and nutrition, homeopathy, and um, and drainage and hydrotherapy, like all the things that I was passionate about, um, which I wanted to learn about. I was, was less concerned about having the actual um, the degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like you've been pretty integrated into the medical world from the start. I did want to ask, do you feel like there's been a shift in people's response to naturopathic medicine from the time you were um, growing up and seeing this integrative doctor to now? Um, I definitely think, well, I mean, it, it depends. Like, it's for, so I didn't know that this concept even existed and, you know, on the East coast, it's very different. Um, at least in the, in the New York area, it's very different. You know, when I, when I moved to Portland and I was living in, in, in Oregon and in California, I mean, I was kind of blown away by the acceptance and then the kind of just the pervasiveness of, of naturopathic doctors, um, as a concept which which doesn't exist here and and, you know coming back to new york which is an unlicensed state it was a different experience you know coming being in san francisco or um you know where i was you know occasionally writing prescriptions and doing procedures and having all the you know the rights and and um ability to do anything i want and we're coming to new york and being more limited luckily i'm working with a medical doctor who's very um is very open to, to, you know, allowing me to do what I want to do and kind of overseeing me um, in, in that way and trusting trusting in me in that way. As far as in New York, if there's a shift, I, I like to think, I like to hope there is more of a shift coming. You know, you know the, the New York Naturopathic Association is always talking about 
um, licensing in New York and how that's coming and how that was supposed to happen this year, but now COVID happened. And um, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, maybe, maybe delayed things a bit, but um, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's definitely a move more, more towards more acceptance. I, you know, I see it in my family, you know, and people around me, there's definitely more acceptance. People are, um, open to it and, and, and curious about it, I would say is, 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 um, the main thing people are like, Oh, what is that? You know, what does that mean? You know? And, um, Mm -hmm. definitely see more of that happening. Yeah. What do you think that people get most wrong about naturopathic medicine and natural medicine? Well, I, I, again, I think it depends on where you are, but definitely New York though, and in unlicensed states, you know, they think that it's just, it means you're an herbalist, right? Or that you're a nutritionist um, and don't really understand what it is. I would say that's the biggest thing or, you know, like a health coach or, or something, which, you know, I mean, that's why that can be all those things too. Um, but that's, you know, I guess maybe the fundamentally the, the, the training that the, that we get is, is something that, that they are, they don't really understand. Um, I'd say that's a big, but, but, you know, on the West coast, it's very different. I mean, you know, there's, it's, but even, even there, like even in Portland where people talk about how it's saturated with naturopathic doctors, I mean, you, it's still not as widely known as medical. I mean, you know, maybe several thousand naturopathic doctors of, of, of a city of, of millions, you know, so, and so it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a small profession still, even if it has grown over the years, it's still very small. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your practice and what it's turned into. Yeah. So after graduation, moving to, to California and working with um, uh, Dr. McDougall, the doctor that was uh, owned the practice I was at, um, I was doing a lot more um, hormones and, and pharmaceuticals and hormone replacement therapy. Um, and that's kind of what I was doing there because that was the patient population. And that was also just kind of the way the clinic worked. So I was, I, I was doing more of that there. When I came back to New York, I was excited. I was kind of excited to be in an unlicensed state because I get to do more of the natural stuff, which is really what I was excited about. Because since we are not allowed to do as much uh, prescribing here, um, yeah, it kind of forces you to use natural yeah. versus, you know, mm-hmm. going more of the integrative route mm-hmm. where you use both. You're kind of forced to use one direction. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's really what excited me about coming back to New York and getting more involved in nature cure and, and castor oil and hydrotherapy and all that all that amazing stuff that that's foundational. I would say that's probably the biggest evolution that I've had so far yeah and it's still evolving and still growing right now I see you know more GI patients within the clinic that I'm at I get referred a lot for the gastro patients um so I would say that's more of a shift as well so you treat a lot of gastro is there a condition specifically I see a lot of IBS um IBD mm-hmm. um SIBO, CIFO. I do a lot of GI mapping uh, with patients. I love doing a GI map and kind of getting a, a baseline look at what's going on in their gut. Yeah. Can you explain that? What is a GI map? Yeah. So a GI map is a DNA PCR test of the stool. So it's basically, um, you know, sequencing of what's everything that's going on in your microbiome. So it's looking at pathogenic uh, organisms, organisms that cause illness and disease in the gut. And then also looking at normal flora, looking at levels of normal flora, looking at uh, digestive markers, inflammatory markers, and markers for leaky gut, 
So it's giving you a really good clinical look at every aspect of the gut health, you know, overall gut health. Um, so I love it. I, I'm, I'm almost at the point where I'm going to require everyone I see to get it um, before they come see me because it's so valuable and gives you such great info on their health and helps you to really hone in on, on uh, you know, the core of, of what I believe is the core of, of, of health is, which is the gut. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's where okay. your like main immune system, right? Like half yeah. of your immune system or something or more is in your mm-hmm. gut. It's, 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 yeah, it's predominantly where your immune system is. It's, it's the interface between your, the outer world, and the inner world. It's also um, the, the place where digestion occurs and absorption of nutrients and minerals so that, you know, if you're not getting your nutrients and minerals and protein and amino acids, nothing downstream is going to, is going to be working as well, in turn, including making hormones and making neurotransmitters and, and everything. So it's so fun. Fa- it's really, really foundational. And, um, I, I love it. And I love, I love working with the gut and, and doing the GI map in particular is such a really helpful, um, helpful test. Um, you have an article on your website that's titled five ways to revitalize the gut after taking antibiotics. Can you explain why that's so important? Antibiotics are kind of like atom bombs for the gut. You know, they, they go in there and they're, they're not, they're, they don't discriminate. They kind of kill the good guys and the bad guys. So, um, when afterwards it's kind of like going in and, and, and mopping up the destruction that's happened after the atom bomb, you know, you got to like do some healing. So um, working with probiotics, working on healing the gut, there's opportunistic bugs or opportunistic um, species that then see, see the landscape as kind of decimated from the good guys and they wind up taking over. So fungal infections are more, more common after, after, um, doses of antibiotics because the the healthy gut bugs which are normally in the background there to keep pathogens at bay they are no longer there so the pathogens are like oh it's party time let's it's you know we're going to take over and they wind up uh, overrunning the system and in the worst you know on the worst case that spectrum something called c diff or c diff uh, c difficile bacteria which um winds up taking over which is more common than you would think. Like yeah, I never thought it'd be that common. common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because of increased antibiotic use, so then the C diff takes over, and you get colitis or inflammation of the of the colon, which is really uh, really difficult to treat at that point because the um, C diff becomes uh, antibiotic resistant. So then you need to use intravenous antibiotics and um, different more aggressive tactics. So. Um, working on repopulating the gut with healthy species, keystone species um, that then um, help to repopulate the good guys is really important. Working on healing up and sealing up the gut. The gut is kind of like a, a, a giant zipper. You can look at it that way too. When the, when the zipper gets unzipped, there's these holes that, that happen in the gut lining and then uh, bacteria and different proteins and inflammatory proteins can get in and wind up um, Overstimulating the immune system, you downstream effects from that are uh, autoimmune disease and uh, inflammation, systemic inflammation in the body. There's something called LP, LPS, lipopolysaccharide, which once, once it gets into systemic circulation, creates a lot of inflammation in the body and can, can uh, affect uh, other systems of the body, the cardiovascular system, lungs. Um, I was looking actually at an interesting study on LPS and uh, lung infl- inflammations, people with chronic uh, 
um, chronic digestive issues who have leaky gut and that zipper is open are constantly spilling LPS into the system and creating a lot of inflammation, which then creates a bit elevated baseline inflammation in the lungs, which then makes them more susceptible to uh, lung infections and uh, viruses and things like that. So it's, it's, it's a really important um, piece that gets overlooked a lot. Yeah, we're finding such a big connection between the gut and mental health too, which I think is really crazy. That's sort of where I want to direct my practice. So yeah, I mean, it's and it's getting to the point where now it's like strain specific. I was reading a, a paper on a specific strain of uh, bacteria that was linked with um, with depression and um, anxiety and, and lessening those symptoms and giving that probiotic species. Um, I forget what the strain was, but there's actually a company that sells just that individual strain. Um, yeah, it's it's super cool. I mean, there's this crosswalk between the vagus nerve, which connects directly to the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all our nutrients and minerals that get absorbed through the gut are super important. If you have leaky gut or inflammation in the gut, you're not going to be absorbing as well, and you're not going to be reducing those neurotransmitters as well. And so there's yeah, there's there's a huge huge connection with the gut. Yeah, it's pretty amazing just finding all of the different connections, even through like mind body and your breath with the vagus nerve and like you just said, with um, different bacteria species, just being able to treat that versus the conventional, which would be a little bit different, which would be more focused on like the neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a different approach, which is really interesting to find and, you know, integrate that into a new protocol. Because I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would rather take a probiotic first if they knew that that was, you know, a possibility or solution for their problem yeah okay. yeah you know, it's big it, it's it's a really exciting area of research and yeah super important so switching topics we learned a lot about the gut we were also interested in hearing what you had to say about skincare and what you recommend yeah so um i was definitely doing more uh, aesthetics and skincare when i was in california um oh. now now here in New York, um, we work with our sister practice, uh, Park Ave Skin, which when we ref- actually refer back and forth a lot. So um, I see some patients um, from that practice and we work on gut health and how that relates to skin health. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, I've seen some really cool, interesting things. I had a patient with really bad acne, for example, and um, turned out she had blastocyst hominis in her gut and we wound up treating that and her acne... Hmm her severe acne cleared up and her skin got better. So um, yeah, there's a huge, huge gut, gut skin connection um, that people overlook. And it's really important. I mean, we were, we're, you know, we're a giant donut. You could think of people as, as, you know, uh, as a giant donut from, from the mouth to the, to the anus is just this giant mm-hmm. hole. Right. And that's actually considered the outside of our body. The bacteria that live on in our gut is actually at the outside of our body. And so um, anything that's going to affect the integrity of the lining of the of the of the gut and create leaky gut and intestinal, increase intestinal permeability is going to affect the integrity of the skin barrier as well. So working on healing the the gut is is automatically going to be healing the skin. Um, I see that all the time with with overgrowth patients as well, SIBO, CFO patients. You work with um, helping to eliminate that that overgrowth and healing the gut, and their skin improves. Um, yeah, it's a super, super important connection. It's so crazy to me because I still hear that there's no link between diet and acne or diet and eczema. I mean, to this day, people deny it. 
And what you're saying is so logical to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I see it all the time. Eczema in particular is, is, is really fungal related. I've seen, um, I've seen eczema clear up in patients with uh, pharmaceutical antifungals, Nystatin, fluconazole, um, obviously, obviously removing sugar, um, is, is a key key to that dairy as well. It's very inflammatory for eczema patients. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I see it all the time. I think it's just a matter of time before that link happens, you know, right. Just say that the vision, you know, you see the dermatologists and see the gastroenterologists and that the, they don't really talk to each other. It is like a different, they all have a specialty and I mean, your care is managed through chart notes, but often, you know, yeah. things can get overlooked when you're only looking at one system. Do you think that uh, people don't want to hear that dairy and, you know, the foods that they love to eat are related to, you know, their chief complaint, which is a skin problem? Do you think that that could be like the cause of people not wanting to realize that diet is related to your skin issues? I think so. I think people are really attached to, to diet and food. I mean, I, I, I see that it's a really big barrier for a lot of people um, their unwillingness to, to change dietary habits. Um, you know, from a Chinese medicine perspective, you know, we should be able to eat anything we want, you know, or the gut's designed to kind of digest the fire and, and, and the, the organs of, of our gut or spleen and stomach are supposed to be able to digest anything. So the idea is that if you're a healthy person and your, your gut lining is strong and intact, then you should be able to eat you know, dairy and an ice cream or pizza occasionally and be fine. The problem is that if you're in, in a, a chronic state to where the gut lining has been broken down after years and years of abuse, or you have an infection, or you're taking, you know, medications that are disrupting the gut lining, um, you know, and they're literally every single pharmaceutical that you, <laughs> that you, anyone can take is going to disrupt the gut lining. Um, mm -hmm. After years of years of doing that, you're, you're in such a state to where, um, these foods become inflammatory for you. And so working on eliminating those foods isn't a fix. It's not going to, uh, it's a temporary solution. You know, you still need to work on healing the gut. You need to work on the foundations of their health. Um, and then after that, you know, once, once they healed up and, and everything's working better and they're feeling better and their symptoms are improving, if they have an occasional ice cream or, or uh, pizza, I think that's, that's, uh, you know, totally reasonable. Um, how, yeah, how would you go about, you know, healing the gut to be able to eat those foods again? Well, I think it's an individual case, right? You got to take it case by case. And, you know, that's why I love doing the GI map because you get such an individualized look at their gut. But, um, you know, there are definitely things that, that, that help to do that. You know, one is to eliminate some of those inflammatory foods in the short run, um, work on, you know, increasing more nutrient dense foods. I, I like to tell people that I like the paleo diet as a, foundational diet for health and and uh experimentation happens from there so they're they're on the paleo um and uh you know they slowly start introducing these other foods and seeing how they react um there's certain nutraceuticals and um you know for example glutamine and um aloe and uh zinc carnosine and um uh, DGL things, things that help to heal the gut lining, um, are really important. Uh, bovine colostrum IgG, uh, are really, is really important. Help heal up the gut, help the, the immune system of the gut. Um, so there are, there are strategies that, you know, I like, I like working with 
uh, drainage mm-hmm. and, and homeopathy as well. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about drainage? Yeah. So drainage is a form of European uh, biological medicine um, in which there you use homeopathy and in the, the remedies tend to be a higher dose. I'm sorry, they tend to be lower doses, um, you know, pot- lower potencies. Um, that that are mixed with botanicals in tincture form and then different metals as well. Um, The the whole tradition of use of these types of remedies that that tend to be more organ specific. So they're they're not, not, you wouldn't use them the same way you would use constitutional homeopathy uh, for like an overall symptom picture of mind, body, and spirit. They're more kind of working on specific organs and organ systems of the body. Okay. So there are companies like Unda and Hevert and uh, Saluna, Pecana that they create these remedies that are organ specific. So there are organs for the liver, for the gallbladder, for pancreas, for uh, uh, the intestines to help basically help with uh, with detox and, and elimination drainage. But they're helping to basically restore the normal function of these organs. Okay, so they kind of work in a homeopathic way to do that, though. Yes, um, that's the uh, that is a component of the remedies, but they also have um, they also have they're also herbal tinctures as well. So there's actual uh, material in there as well. So there's there's different organ specific uh, herbs that are used as well. Um, for example, dandelion for the liver and, and gallbladder, and um, you know different organ specific herbs uh, that are in there as well not just um, energetic dilution. So it's a combination. You could say it's it's maybe a combination homeopathic and herbal remedy. It's kind of in between. Yeah. And I really like, you know, really like using them. These types of remedies, uh, there's less evidence for them, but less large scale evidence for them. But clinically, I know practitioners who've been using it for a long time and get really good success with, with patients. Okay. So they kind of work on an herbal and homeopathic homeopathy level to detox someone based on their organs. Yeah. So you would focus on the digestive organs um, when you're working with um, healing up the gut and um, strengthening the the gut lining. We'd work with those organ-specific remedies. Yeah. We've talked a lot about determinants of health Mm -hmm. and, you know, why sleep and um, nutrition are important. We haven't really talked much about detoxing, and I know that you kind of just described this as a way to treat and heal the skin. Um, how often, like, should people be detoxing, or you know, is that something that should be incorporated into their daily routine, or how do you see detox? Yeah, so um, it's a big it's a big topic. Um, I like using these types of remedies. Um, as a way of, of stimulating the organs of elimination. And, and, and I, w- I, I don't, it's not a daily thing. Typically it's a, it's a course of treatment. So you would do it for, let's say uh, a month or two months, uh, two or three times a year. Um, you wouldn't do it um, all the time. Um, you know, fasting is another really great form of detox. Um, it's probably the oldest and, and most uh, well-known form of detox. Um, I do like to incorporate fasting with patients when, when they can tolerate it. Sometimes if someone's chronically ill and they've got a lot of issues and you know, they've been sick for a very long time, fasting might not necessarily be the best first step for them. But once, once they've, you've, you know, you've strengthened their, their system, they start feeling better and more, more uh, resilient, then you can start introducing fasting as a way to kind of 
help detox along. And, um, you know, the body is very smart. The body, the body, um, has an, a really great innate intelligence and will start to detox on its own when, when, when it's in a fast, when it's, um, not burdened by the constant food consumption and starts to naturally starts detoxing and starts getting rid of senolytic cells. And, um, some of the re the really great benefits of fasting come, come from that, um, that, uh, processing and detox and, and, um, strengthening the metabolism that occurs. Um, obviously there are, there are really great, there are nutrients and, and nutraceuticals you can use to help stimulate detox as well. Glutathione, NAC, um, different binders as well, which you can introduce to help bind up toxic uh, products in the gut. Um, I work with a lot of uh, mold patients as well, and detox is, is the main mm. thrust of treatment with mold patients, detoxing them from uh, mycotoxins. So working mm -hmm. with different binders and, and seeing how they tolerate it and introducing different binders to help uh, pull mycotoxin out of the body is really important for those types of patients. But you know, I see detox as, as really important for, for everybody at, at, at different stages of, of their health. And um, sauna as well is a really great mm -hmm. way to detox. Yeah, with fasting, you're sort of shedding these old mitochondria that are sort of these dead batteries that aren't working for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you know a little bit more about Yeah, that? so um, it's called um, senescence. Basically, the idea is as you age, more and more cells become senolytic meaning, um, or they become more senescent and so, uh, or quiet, they start to, they become older as you you become older, your cells become older, right? So your immune system becomes more senescent. Um, the mitochondria are working less, less efficiently. And so, um, with introducing senolytics, the idea is your, um, with fasting is, is a great example. The body then is able to process these, these, um, more senescent or quiet cells and make room for new ones to grow. So um, it's a really, a really powerful form to powerful way to get rid of um, some of these uh, quieted mitochondria and then also cells itself and like in the immune system. Um, that's, that's some, some labs are actually using this as a test to see how old your immune system is, right? They actually count the number of naive immune cells versus sen uh, senescent cells. It can give an idea of how healthy or strong your immune system is. Mm -hmm. Strengthening your mitochondria is great for your health, but it also plays a role in longevity. Could you talk about those areas of high longevity called the blue zones? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am um, really into longevity and um, we're doing a lot uh, at our clinic at Tribeca Wellness. I'm actually going to be giving a talk um, in a couple weeks that uh, uh, to some private um this private uh, group in, in New York, but then eventually I want to take that and, and bring it to the public. But yeah, we're doing a lot of um, really exciting things with um, biological age testing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I've heard about biological age yeah. testing. With biological age testing, the idea is, okay, so you have your DNA, right? And your DNA ages through time the same way you do. It moves through time the way you do. And one of the things that happens to your DNA as you age is, is it gets methylated. Have you heard of methylation or how methylation yeah. works? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically these caps that, that turn genes on and off, methyl groups come on and basically turn, turn a gene off and make it become, make cells become more senescent, basically more, more quiet or older. And so as you age, these, these mitochondria 
I'm sorry, this uh, methylation happens in a very predictable manner to where it you can actually track someone's age. Let's say you know, if you found some blood on the street, you can actually look at that DNA and look at how much methylation is on that DNA and give someone an approximate of the idea of their age. So it's called the methylation clock. Um, and it's, it's, really, it's really new research within the last year, uh, with la last couple of years. So now there's actually commercial testing that, that's come on the market that can actually look and give you um, something called your biological age. So it'll look at your DNA and see how, how much um, methylation is happening at these specific markers on the DNA, and then give you a readout of how healthy your DNA is basically compared to your chronological age. So some people who have healthy lifestyles and haven't ever smoked and eat really well and um, take care of themselves and, and detox and and you know do all the all the foundational healthy things actually have their DNA be younger than their chronological age. So they'll let's say they're chronologically 30, their DNA actually is showing up as 25. And what's really exciting is that your risk for disease, your risk for cardiovascular disease, your risk for cancer, your risk for all-cause mortality actually tracks more strongly with your biological age than it does with your chronological age. Um, so, you know, you can be 40, but then let's say you have the DNA of someone who's 80, and then the next year you get cancer, and it's like, oh, I was so young, I was, I'm only 40, and I've gotten cancer. Well, it turns out that you have the DNA of somebody who's in their 80s. Wow. So... Um, it's really, and what's even more exciting is that you can do um, you can do things to reverse your methylation. So methylation can actually be reversed, and you can actually reverse someone's biological age using different um, different different uh, techniques and procedures. So fasting is actually one of them. So fasting can actually reduce your biological age, and they they've tracked this in mice and and in chimpanzees, and now there are more and more human studies are coming out on this that fasting can actually reverse your biological age. There are a lot of pharmaceutical interventions as well that are being studied right now. Um, uh, something called rapamycin, which is a medication used for a chemotherapy. Um, when it's used every day, it's used as a chemotherapy medication, but in these anti-aging studies, they're doing it you know, once a week in these, hmm. in these um, spaced out doses. And what it's actually doing is, is it's, helping to reverse the biological age. One of the ways it's doing that is by removing some of these senolytic, these uh, senescent cells, it's acting like a senolytic, basically killing off these older cells and making room for these younger cells to grow. Um, so they're actually able to track that in mice and see, wow, we're able to reduce their age by 10 years on, the, on these types of protocols. And so there's also um, different... Um, natural protocols we could potentially try as well. And so the synthesis, this is all really new. We're going to be doing in our clinic, we're going to be trying some of these more natural treatments. We're going to be using fasting with natural nutraceutical options that mimic some of these pharmaceutical options. Um, to, uh, there, metformin is another drug that's being studied right now that can um, reduce the biological age, but there are natural things we can introduce like uh, berberine, for example, which acts in a very similar way to metformin. Uh, or reducing blood sugar and removing some of these uh, senescent cells. So it's really exciting. Um, I love I love all this stuff. So the blue zones, you asked originally about the blue zones. So blue zones are these areas where um, areas of the world, there are five main areas um, that have been studied that are considered blue zones where people routinely live uh, past the age of 100 and they live at 
disproportionately higher rate to the rest of the general population past the, the age of 100 compared to other other places. So then they go, the scientists have gone in and studied these, these populations. Okay, what, what makes them unique? And there are certain characteristics or, or, or factors within these populations that they've studied that are, are sim they're similar across the population. So one is, for example, con connection to community and um, mm -hmm. connection with um, spirituality. There's, there are very strong spiritual uh, communities where they either go to church or you know, Buddhist temples or... Um, uh, Would you say that a lot of these different um, you know, requirements or key findings in the blue zones are very similar to the determinants of health that we recommend. Yeah, I would say that that's, that's actually pretty accurate. Yeah, that's like the first thing that I noticed when I was looking it up and it was literally just focusing on like the fundamentals of health, which is, you know, moving your body, like mm -hmm. having a sense of purpose. Yeah, I mean, and then also in these groups too, that since it's such a, they're more tight knit. And so the grandparents are, you know, living with with their their grandchildren, and they see that as their kind of purpose as well as helping to raise that that generation, and they're involved with with raising them. And so, um, you know, even if they are retired, aren't working anymore, they're still having this really big role within the family. Um, mm -hmm. It's very different here. Like, I mean, I don't know how it is for you, but my family is all spread out, mm -hmm. whereas. If we were all living in the same community, I feel like we would feel way more connected mm -hmm. and way more connected with our roots and our tradition, family traditions yeah. as well. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's super important um, and, and really interesting um, that they're finding these in the community. So, um, you know, ok Okinawa is one, Loma Linda, California is one, um, <laughs> Sardinia, there's a town in Sardinia somewhere in Greece. And then Costa Rica with the five, uh, town in Costa Rica with the, the five main uh, blue zones. Um, the other thing is, is diet. Diet's interesting with, with these groups. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a plant, more, more plant-based, but they're definitely fish and, and some meat. Like, for example, the Mediterranean diet too. Actually, the Mediterranean diet is one of the most studied diets uh, on the planet um, and has a, really, a lot of really great benefits. Um, and a lot of polyphenols and, and, um, it seems like the most well-rounded diet too, cause it also incorporates, you know, whole grains and, and exercise. Yeah. And exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of olive oil, uh, polyphenols and red wine and, uh, omega fish oils. So yeah, it's, it's a really great, it's a great one. And I would say that, the, you know, a lot of the diets, um, in those blue zones are mirrors in similar ways, um, mm -hmm. the Mediterranean diet. It seems like you're really passionate about, you know, longevity and I mean, who, who isn't, I guess, but mm -hmm. at the same time, what is your reason for wanting to explore this? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've, I've always just had an interest in it. Um, I love the idea of, of living healthier and, um, not just longer, but mm -hmm. healthier within your years. Having a good full life mm -hmm. without pain or disease. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you may you may necessarily live to be a hundred, but if those last twenty years you're in a wheelchair and you can't move, and you know you've got all these, you're you're on a whole polypharmacy of medications, and then and what does that really even mean? You know. Um, exactly. Yeah, and I just see it. I see it as an extension of, of what we're doing already. You know, um, maybe just marketed differently, but you know, it's it's for, 
it's it's the core of naturopathic medicine um, is to is help people optimize their health and and um, yeah, I feel like people have an idea about health that or maybe life maybe more so that part of life is getting disease and being a you know part of life is suffering you know mm-hmm. yeah i think especially maybe in in, the, in america we have that idea where uh the pure puritanical idea that life is suffering um but it doesn't have to be the case and um especially if you look at these these blue zones areas you, you notice that that's not the case at all um, they're living longer and they're living healthier and they're living uh, more fuller lives so yeah um, i i love the idea of bringing that everywhere yeah can you talk a little bit about bioresonance evaluation of health? I read that on your site and I was reading that it's like detecting frequencies that aren't emitted by our own healthy cells. So it's these other frequencies like from a virus or bacteria. Am I explaining that? Like, Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, what you're, what you're basically doing is, are you familiar with podkinesiology at all? Have you had any experience with that? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, so the new applied kinesiology is you're you're talking to the body, you're asking the body like, okay, what's going on here? What's the priority of dysfunction? Are there any infections here? Are there any heavy metals? It's it's a similar thing, except you're doing that with a drop of blood. You take a drop of blood from a patient, and then using resonance to basically ask the body through the proxy of their blood, like, okay. Are there any infections here? Are there heavy metals? Are you know? Is there? Are there any nutrient deficiencies? Um, you can get real kind of specific and and hone in on a patient's individual kind of needs, and then and then also use it to basically test against a whole uh, algorithm of potential treatment options. Like, okay, do I you you know what is this patient really calling for? Do they need? Um, is it more nutrient support? Do they need more homeopathy? Or do they need uh, dietary changes? Is it maybe even a pharmaceutical in, in the moment that they require? Um, so you can really, you know, hone in on and, and the 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 principle is resonance. Basically, the idea is that you're trying to match resonance um, between what's going on in their body and then what you're introducing as a question to their to their body, and you're getting a with, with uh, the bioresonance, you get using a device called a lecker antenna um, that's basically giving you a yes or no. So in the same way as you would use applied kinesiology to get a yes or a no with a muscle going weak or strong, um, using that in the same way. So it's a, it's a really great, um, I, I see it more for me the way I use it as, a, as to help me figure out for this particular patient, individual patient, um, what what's the best uh, priority in terms of where should, what should we be attacking first? Because even you know if you do a GI map, let's say they have H. pylori, they have um, a leaky gut, they have a low digestion, uh, you know, and the digestive insufficiency, and they've got um, uh, an overgrowth. So it's like, okay, what do we do first? Do we attack H. pylori first? Do we work on the digestion? You know, so with a bioresonance, you can uh, or apply kinesiology or something or something similar. You can really say, okay, for this patient, uh, it seems like for a priority, this would make sense for us to go for, for first. This is what their body is kind of calling for. And as a practitioner, it gives you a really great tool to use and to, to, to then hone in on what you would want to try um, for the patient. Yeah, you've talked a lot about um, you know, GI health, and I'm sure a lot of whoever's listening will be able to learn a lot. I know I did. 
even though I'm in this school and this medicine, I know I learned a lot from you. And what is next for you? What is next? Um, yeah, just continuing in clinical practice. Um, there's, we're doing a lot of new programs at Tribeca Wellness. We're working on a whole um, anti-aging longevity program where we're going to be testing people's um, methylation clock and methylological age and doing before and afters um, as we take them through different anti-aging protocols. We're going to be doing more um, GI and gut health programs as well. Um, yeah, so there's there's exciting stuff coming down the line. You can visit my website, Mark, drmarkyminski.com or my Instagram, pretty active on there. If you want to learn more, yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Ivaninsky, for joining us today and sharing your story. You can find him online at drmarkyvaninsky.com and that is D-R-M-A-R-K-I-W-A-N-I-C-K-I.com or on Instagram at Dr underscore Mark Ivaninsky. And that is D-R underscore M-A-R-K-I-W-A-N-I-C-K-I. And before we close the show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, comment, rate, and review. And most of all, share it with someone you know. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Take care.